Welcome to the Slow Goods Podcast. We're here in beautiful Bitterford, Maine. Welcome to my studio, Trent. <laughs> Thank you. Thank the, you for having me. This is uh, Trent's studio, and he's uh, getting it up and running for a rental. So. so yeah, welcome to Slow Goods Podcast. We love to talk about quality and design, and uh, we love to hear people's stories, and we love Maine and, and uh, all kinds of uh, other good things. Uh, I love adventure. We'll probably be talking about some of that. Maybe we'll see. Adventure is 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 good. Yes. It's very good. Yeah, it teaches you to not worry so much. Mm-hmm. I, I find that I oddly push myself into f- not failure, but I'll intentionally underprepare sometimes. So mm-hmm. I have to be more creative in the moment to solve problems to keep yeah. it interesting. I don't know that that's a good strategy sometimes, but <laughs> it's worked for me so far. But yeah. Well, if you're going really deep in the main woods, I suggest you be a little. Yeah, little no, prepared. that's different. Yeah. That's different. <laughs> uh, but uh, so, Trent, I mean, an intro for you. I, you know, I was thinking, I, I don't know all the places you've been, but I can tell everybody this that is listening. Whenever I open up a beautiful home and design type catalog, especially for Maine, um, Trent's pictures are in there a lot. And, uh, you know, when I was going through, um, trying to find the photographer we wanted for the rope company, um, I just kept seeing, I was like, Oh, what's my favorite. And I mean, there's a lot of great photographers in there. A lot of good photography. There's some really good talent in Maine specifically. Yeah. So not, not, but, but I was, every time I had one that cut you, like I, and then I look at the name, it was Trent Bell. So that's, that's nice. That's how that's I nice. can intro you. So, um, the, you know, main home of design and down East homes. And can you list some other things you've been in? Have you been in uh, like architectural digest or, um, yeah, for the, for the ones that, you know, if I were to be trying to impress a client that right. was architecturally <laughs> okay. based, uh, I think we had the cover of residential design. I think I'm pretty sure we've been in architectural record, which is the, yeah, we've had a couple features in architectural record, I believe. Um, and architectural record is like the standard for good design for architects. Like go-to. Not many clients of architects will read that as much, but it's sure. a publication for architects. And if you get in there, it's a big pat on the back for architects. Sure. Um, and so for me, that was really cool to, to be featured in there because that's my client base. Right. And so if I'm serving them well enough to where, you know, the photographic standards are able to make it in there and it tells you your clients are talented enough to make it in there. So it's a combination there that to me is like, that's a pat on the back, but then, you know, like, uh, dwell and we were, we shot for New York times for a little while. New York Times is an odd one where they pay you with the reputation, not in financial means as like much. The, like the Super Bowl. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. It, but I mean, publishing in general has taken such a weird turn, like in the last 15 years, basically when I started that it's, it's such a weird thing where before there was really gatekeepers that would say this photographer's talented enough, we'll use them now okay. more so I think the public is a little bit more of a gatekeeper where it's through Instagram and Mm -hmm. social media channels that the people who can really make a good image just get all the likes. Mm -hmm. And so those people rise as a surface. I'm, I'm not really aware of how people in my situation now get to doing what I do because Mm -hmm. everything has changed right behind me or as I got into it, it, it's a weird thing, but yeah, Yeah. we've, we've been in a couple publications and 
I've never, I don't think I've ever read a single article I've been in because I just, it's odd. I don't have a lot of interest in it, which is weird, but I totally get it. it, it it's not a, it's a, I, I love working as an architectural photographer and capturing those images, but the whole cycle and social scene and everything else I'm not interested in. Mm-hmm. It's more so the creativity and seeing and showing what my clients have created to take then my layer of creativity and put it over it. That's like, that's where I excel and that's where I'm interested yeah, in this. That's your passion. And beyond that, it's all kind of, um, it all, beyond that, it all serves to keep my family fed and housed. You know, so it's this odd combination where you have to bring the two together. If if you go for one too much, the other suffers. So you have to think about building a business and getting your name out there and being seen in publications and all of that. But then on the other end, you have to protect your creative energy. Mm-hmm. That how long have you been doing the rope company now? Uh, it's been ten years now. So you, the so depending on your personality type too, it sounds like your wife is more of the uh, when it comes to your company from what you've said it's she's a little bit more of the open creative visual like creating things a little bit more and you might be a little bit more of like all right this is what we're doing and we're charging ahead and i'm making sure it's getting done a time i'm sure there's overlap yeah yeah but, i think she the the originating things mm-hmm. <clears throat> is where she is yeah just fabulous and having a great eye and and somehow you know always blending that timeless with trend right. um i can take it and understand it and then hold it mm-hmm. right which i have to do a lot she's just, right she's mom at home <laughs> and i, I got to make calls and, and do things as we're going and i'm sure i make a ton of bad ones but she is really certainly like call it creative director right, right maybe right. yeah but it's it's great to have that that combination of talents and diverse personality types mm-hmm. because if you don't have that you'll if you're fully creative, like if I'm fully involved in just capturing great images and I never do any really thought about marketing or developing a reputation outside of that and patting myself on the back in the face of potential clients a little bit, you Mm -hmm. know, like, no, I'm really good. You guys should use me. (laughs) It's all that weirdness where I, my instinct is to just do good work and let, let the work come because of that, Mm -hmm. which kind of works, but kind of doesn't too so it, I, I don't really know what I'm doing but it's worked out so I've figured something out and I'm in the process of trying to figure out what did I figure out right <laughs> well, let's, we'll get into ridiculous well, well, let's, maybe we can dig into that a little bit today so just over what what's your story I love to hear people's stories like <clears throat> get as detailed as you want but I mean maybe growing up and and getting into sure. you know where you've come today uh if if I had to try and put it in one minute um you don't have to go one minute but <laughs> So, but that's me saying like, all right, if I try and fit it in one, it'll be five. Right. Uh, I, I was born into a family that, uh, my dad was a pastor and, uh, then church administrator in the Seventh-day Adventist, uh, denomination and, uh, very, uh, for, for a, a religion that's fairly conscientious conservative overall in, mm-hmm. in my opinion they themselves were of a personality type that was a little more open-minded mm-hmm. than in general in that in my opinion and i say that because i felt a lot of the constraint of the culture 
from the culture, but never from my parents. Right. My parents, I always just felt love and acceptance and encouragement. You know, they obviously had their standards and I got punished for the things that are going out of line. You know, there's all that normal mm-hmm. there. But uh, my own personality type is more open and left leaning. But I was raised in a very right leaning, uh, conservative or conscientious um, environment. Both mm-hmm. Both my immediate family is having a lot of moral guidelines and everything else and the culture at large that I was involved in. I went to Christian schools, private Christian schools uh, for all, all of my education and grew up completely in that uh, subculture culture. Mm-hmm. And that's good and bad. There, there's a lot that can go good and bad in that. The, the things that can go bad is that your view becomes very tribal and limited and you don't know that it's tribal and limited. And you start to view people outside your tribe or social circle as being naturally evil because they don't see the one truth that you see. And right. that, that is very, in my opinion, very, I don't know, it, it feels very damaging overall to the health of even like a, a a town, state, and country overall. If we all do something like that, it's not going to be good. So that cultural faith didn't work out for me. Long see, look at this. I'm already like five minutes in, and I haven't even gotten out. Of, <laughs> I'm getting distracted here. But anyways, I I grew up in a very faith centered. Uh, community and a very faith-centered family uh i have a lot of respect for it and what it taught me Mm -hmm. um and being very open as a personality type but being raised in a very conservative environment i believe gave me a very good grounding Mm -hmm. because naturally i don't i don't respond well to order and limitations and schedules and and all of that I'm, I'm much more so I need to wander. I need to discover. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited and, and inspired by the novel and what's possible in creating in that sense. So, um, but having that, that idea and expectation of boundaries and, in in and limits and, uh, following morals that are already established that have shown to be effective over time mm-hmm. while taking those as very strong principles, but not rigid things, uh, I think has really served me well coming out of that. Um, you know, I, I basically distanced myself from the Adventist faith. I, I, I think I've come back to a place of strongly believing that there's, uh, a God. So all of philosophy and theology and all that, that's basically where I'm at. And I could go on for way too many hours about that. Education wise, I went to, uh, architecture school, uh, got my master's in architecture practice for three that was years. College. Yes. So uh, was high school was a Christian high school. Yep. Shenandoah Valley Academy, four years Christian school. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, actually my father-in-law was my grade school principal. Okay. So that ended up weird. <laughs> <laughs> eventually so like hey went- i know you suspended me but can i date your daughter and now can i marry her yeah. right uh so architecture school college that was four years you said uh i think it overall it was five i got my master's so it extended out a yeah. little further and then from there went right into starting a architectural firm with a friend of mine here in bitterford caleb johnson who mm-hmm. then start went on to uh start caleb johnson architects and then now woodhull design uh, Caleb and I worked together for three years. He's incredibly talented, incredibly driven and determined individual, really good friend of mine, probably one of my best friends, but 
to to work as friends yeah. uh, who both have the same interest is very difficult because it's not like your wife and you where you have uh, complementary personalities and probably interests. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, you go do all the creative stuff and I'll do a little bit of that, but I'm going to do all this stuff and I'm great at this, you're great at that, and the combination's unstoppable. We kept both wanting to design or both wanting to do this and to make matters worse. He was probably three years ahead of me in experience and had mm -hmm. worked as an architect for three years and I was fresh out of school. So there's all those kind of weird dynamics that played in. And I'm, I'm not a, I don't think, at, especially at that time, I was not naturally a great person to be in a business partnership with. Mm -hmm. Way too unpredictable and wanting to come in late and stay late so I could surf in the morning or like come in early and leave early so I could surf in the, you know, yeah. and for starting a business and consistency at that, it just, you know, yeah. didn't work out. So you're coming out of high school, you choose architecture, right? So why architecture? You know, and you talk a lot about creativity. So when did you like start getting inspired and noticing that? Mm. And then, you That's know, also getting into- Interesting questions give me goosebumps, by the way. You see that? <laughs> yeah, That's great. Weird. Perfect. <laughs> and then, you know, when it comes, why the switch from architecture to for architectural photography? Yeah. Okay. So um, right out of high school, I had been dating a girl for like four years <clears throat> and I figured I've got to have some degree to impress her family and, you know, maybe marry this girl someday. And so I went pre-dentistry uh, where she was going to uh, nursing school. Mm -hmm. High school relationships, you know, they've got like a 2% chance of working out, you mm -hmm. know. Um, and that fell apart in a not great way for me. I ended up uh, after a year and a half university trying to be a dentist or, you know, going pre-med essentially. Dropped out and moved to Michigan for one winter uh, where Caleb was, actually. Mm -hmm. And he was renting a house with two other friends of mine at the time. And I just went and lived with them and worked at a cabinet shop while being, you know, deeply depressed now, you know, having lost this girl. <laughs> I'm in a cabinet shop with no windows in the winter in Michigan. Mm -hmm. Michigan in the winter has no sun. It's like a sheet of gray the whole winter. It's horrible thought pre-dentistry would be the thing yeah but there it wasn't engaging enough creatively and there mm -hmm. was so much stuff that had to be just blank memorization like names of teeth and body parts and stuff that i just couldn't relate to enough right so failed at that um but the whole time i'm thinking what caleb was doing looks like so much fun mm -hmm. the odd thing was i went and shadowed architects in between all of this to think maybe i want to work as an architect because the school looks amazing Mm -hmm. And it was, but the day-to-day -day practice of working as an architect does not fit my personality. And mm -hmm. I even saw that when I went and shadowed them, but I wasn't smart enough to get out of the way of that. But mm -hmm. I'm glad I went through it because of where right. I'm at now. If I had listened to it there, I would have realized these guys and what they do is not what I'd enjoy doing all day. It's mm -hmm. a huge amount of details that you have to collate and organize and herd. Right. It's not just creating a nice building. It's right. all the technicality that goes along with that, mm. which I didn't quite pick up on, which I should have, but I'm just not that bright in that way. So I went through school. I was at, I was at the top of my class. I was really good at it. In the architecture school. For the creative part of architectural okay. school. And I was disciplined enough to get my work done and to do it well and to try my hardest. And so all of that, like I was a C student in high school and everything else. Mm -hmm. A student in architectural school. When I got out and started practicing, though, the it's just such a low gear 
high churning and the creative part of an architecture project is so small compared to all the I see. work that has to go into it. And it's, it's an extremely difficult way to make a living. Mm -hmm. The people that do it, I just, my hat's off to them because mm -hmm. it's so hard. You're managing so much money. There's so many emotions with clients involved, especially if it's residential. Right. So all of that to say, I worked for three years with Caleb and he's much better off without me like <laughs> holding right. him down in that sense. You already established that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, but three the, years but the in. struggle there, you say just the like the creativity. Yeah, the creativity is small yeah. and the detail because I would be kind of similar. I almost mm. think that I un I understand what you're saying. Like, oh man, I have to constantly handle tons of details. It's like a all five time. year project, It'd be exhausting sometimes. for me. Right. Yeah, which which is a lot. But growing up in the way I did, I thought that the main sources of or the main channels of uh, work that I could be involved in would be because of my upbringing, far more directly involved with people. So teacher, nurse, doctor, lawyer, mm -hmm. something that's directly interpersonal communications, interactive in that to a high degree. Mm -hmm. Any creative uh, line of work to me was not an option. Mm -hmm. And that's just from a general cultural disposition right. of, it, to me, a criticism that I do levy at religion is each religion tries to kind of feel like they've got it on lockdown. like. We've got all the truth. So creativity is not really welcome here. Questions aren't really welcome here. Now, it's not in practice that they're like, whoa, whoa, no questions. Right. But it's the emotional thing of like, if you're asking a question, that means what I'm holding is not certain. Mm -hmm. If I'm not certain about what I'm holding, then that's an emotional like, ah, why are you taking swings at my crutches? Mm -hmm. So there's, there's that weirdness. But I thought you have to be those things. So I tried to do dentistry and then I thought, well, maybe teacher and I'm a horrible, horrible teacher. <laughs> so eventually ended up like, yeah, maybe I could do architecture. That's a creative degree. And as soon as I started into the schooling of that, it was amazing. Loved it. Like I looked forward to going yeah. to school, to class. Wow. But Great. then when you get out and you work, it's, it's, there's all this other layer of, of things that you really have to power through, so which I wasn't good at. When does photography start? going on in here. So <clears throat> after in five head. years of school and probably three years of trying to work as an architect, I had to think like, all right, it's time to hit the eject button. This is too much. Like every night going to bed, thinking about how you might get in a fist fight the next day with the person you're in a business partnership with is not a good way to live. Right. So eventually had to hit the eject button and that was emotionally like a big hurdle because you've got imagine. all that education and everything that you think yeah. you just wasted all right. that time, like three years working, five, it's so hard. Mm -hmm. But eventually I was just too unhappy and Amber could see it. And I asked her like, if, if I hit the eject button on this, uh, I, I think at the time I was just gonna buy uh, rental properties and fix them up. That would be my creativity. And then uh, we'd hold those and rent them as a source of income. And I got three buildings, but then I found out management for me is I'm horrible <laughs> at it. Like I'm great at the ideas and I'm great at creating and like making a place nice, mm -hmm. but then my interest just goes and any problems that would happen, like we got a leak in the roof is like the world was ending for me. Right. I was just unable to see like, all right, three days from now, this is going to be taken care of and it's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. But it was just like for three days, the world was ending. I 
something's wrong with me where I don't do that well. My <laughs> wife stepped in and she took over all of that and she did it with grace and beauty. I, not so much. Um, and I could tell you so many stories about renting properties to people. It's amazing. <laughs> but um, eventually uh, did that probably for a year and a half. But while I was doing that, a good friend of mine, Chet Williams said, you should look at doing architectural photography because you have the interest of creativity and you've done some photography and it's a technical thing that you can learn, but your creative artistic side engages that and you have the experience with architecture, hmm. you should really think about this. Not a good friend. Yeah, no, I, I owe so much to him. Um, and so we, I had bought and sold uh, a property with a friend of mine, Joey Radford, who's a real estate agent here in Biddeford. And with the money that I got from that, I bought probably that stand you see right there. <laughs> but all the equipment I needed to be a commercial photographer. And I didn't even know how to put a lens on a camera. Mm -hmm. Like I'd, I had to call Chet and be like, what? This lens isn't going on this camera. What's going on? I was like, oh, that's an EF lens and you need it. Blah, blah, blah. Right. So I got that. And then from there, I just started approaching architects to say, I'll shoot your stuff for free. Mm -hmm. And no one took me up on it. No one. Like you offer your services for free. No one wants it. It's right. weird. Unless you're established. And then, right. but if you're unestablished, people are like, you're no, you're of no value and you're willing to do it for free. You're going to waste my time. Yeah. When we have products, you know, you got to be careful if you want to drop a price, if, if it's a past season color, so then people are like, well, nobody wants that. I don't want it either. Right. It's right. A, it's a it's weird a funny thing. perception. Yeah. So I, I, I basically, I realized if I could, I had to find someone that gave me credit in the eyes of people I was approaching to hire me. Right. So how do you find that? So if I can show that I can do the work, magazines will hire me because they don't care who I'm in. I am. They, they're not worrying about, can this guy get his stuff published somewhere? They're the publishers. Right. So I knew that getting in the publications, I had to at least show I could do work as good as what they had in the publication. But how do I get someone to back me to, right? So I approached the city of Biddeford, which I had sat on the Historic Preservation Committee. And so I had connections there. And I said, why don't we do a thing uh, for the city of Bitterford and I'll go and photograph all the business owners and you can do a little interview with them. And then you'll have, you know, this environmental portrait of mm -hmm. them in their business that you can put on the website and prints and, you know. And so that actually worked really well. I went around to different businesses and photographed them in their space, like uh, Marty Gorman, who ran for state. No, he ran for congressman here recently and he's running again for local congress, I think. But stuff like that. And then it it got my name into the business channels and started mm -hmm. getting work that way. Um, and then just kept collating and building business that way. Uh, I had my big break really was uh, I knew there was a really good looking little um, project going up in Goose Rocks Beach that Caleb's old boss, Stephen Blatt, was doing. And it, I could see how photogenic it was. Mm -hmm. And I, I knew that the architect would be more discerning about the photos. So they wouldn't be as likely to hire me having not proved myself. But I knew that the builders usually have less, not none, but less aesthetic concern. Right. They leave that to the architects generally. Yeah. But the builders are the last ones at the project, so they'll have the keys. Mm -hmm. So I knew like, all right, if I can find the builder of that project and tell them I'll go and photograph it for free, 
they might take me up on that. Mm -hmm. So I approached the builder and it was Shoreline Builders and they're the Fred Trudeau, nicest guy, his whole family, great people, ended up working with them a lot. But they're like, well, sure, yeah, let's get you in there. So the the image I got of the exterior ended up on the cover of Main Home Design, like in the first two months of learning how to put a lens on a camera. Wow, that's so cool. There was some natural ability that I already had, and mm -hmm. I could feel it when I interacted with it. I was like, oh, this is this is me. I know how to do this almost intrinsically. Mm -hmm. Now, I didn't know all the technical stuff. I didn't know the the shortcomings of like there was a light on or a shade was pulled, and I didn't quite know how to take it out in post-production at the time. But it was a great image. It ended up on the cover and the interior images. If I looked at them now, I think they're, you know, but at the time they were, you know, they were good. And mm -hmm. that one thing, I shot it for Shoreline Builders and then Main Home Designs guy who was selling ads, Stephen Kelly, I think. Then the day I delivered the images, he came by and I had done like a little printout and I had thought like every job I'll, I'll have a folder, with, you know, and there'll be a, the main best image and you know mm -hmm. and they're like oh yeah maybe we'll advertise with you guys but they actually said you should check out this photographer trent bell mm -hmm. and he was like huh and then from there uh susan grisanti who now runs decor maine she sent me a ton of work uh throughout the years and every opportunity i got to shoot anything was this might be your last opportunity go the hardest do everything you can do the best and i i probably hurt a lot of people's career in the photographic world by doing that because I way over delivered during mm -hmm. that time. I'd, I'd post produce like 30 images and I just work myself to death because I was trying to get my foot in the door. Yeah. And these other people who are charging the same and delivering far less who are like, this is not how you run a business. You won't be able to ever see your kids or wife or anyone. Yeah. But I had to do everything I could to get my foot in the door because no one's going to give you a handout especially when it's a sole proprietor creative outlet like this. Right. Because I don't really have hardly any overhead or anything else. And the amount that I can charge is 100% based on the abilities that I can execute on. All the technical gear and everything else is not really worth all that much when you factor in what you pay me. Right. And so it's a very ambiguous thing that you're doing so it's very hard to become the person that people want for that thing mm -hmm. and so it, it's an odd thing but um that basically uh that and then just a lot of determination and and fear of failure got me here right so i would listen to what it was your podcast with caleb mm. and you said it was about going in now you get into a place and it's kind of like unlocking keys yeah, yeah. Um, so what is that like? Like you come to a shoot and now you're just kind of going like, what are you seeing? What are those keys? Mm. Like what's going on there? Here, here's an interesting thing. See, look, you see that? That's so weird. Like good <laughs> questions cause goosebumps on me. All right, good. It's so weird. I got to figure that out. Um, so there's an interesting thing that Okay, what's the main question so I don't get off track again? <laughs> so in that in that interview specifically with Caleb, you oh, said the the unlocking unlocking key, yeah, uh, you talk okay. about unlocking these keys. You were getting into a place and you right. know, creativity and but like you were really getting into your flow. So and it felt like unlocking. When I started out, I had no clue what I was doing, mm -hmm. which was very engaging. 
Right. There, there is a problem to be solved. There's expectations from clients mm -hmm. and there is a limited amount of time and there's a lot of money on the table. Right. And that's high pressure. Mm -hmm. And you don't, you know, you pay, like when we did the shoot in Cape Porpoise, mm -hmm. you have to get access to a location. You've only got it for that day. And they're not going to let you in there another day if you oh, man, mess up on that. So hard. You know, so you get yeah. access and you, so there's all this stuff built up to this one window. Mm -hmm. And it's very much a dance monkey boy on that day. It's like, you don't get to rehearse. You don't get, you know, so you got to really prepare. But you also, for me, it's invigorating because there's a huge risk involved. Mm -hmm. And now the risk is only my reputation and your financial thing for that one day, which right. is which is a big financial risk. But that's kind of why it's for me, it's it's fun. Not that I'm risking your money, but I've shown that I can walk that tightrope every single time. Mm -hmm. And at first it's really emotionally rewarding mm -hmm. because it's highly, highly creative because I don't know what I'm doing and I have to respond to uh, my sub what my subjective emotional state tells me looks good. Mm -hmm. And I'm transferring from subjective into objective and capturing it. I'm trying, I'm working in that process. Right. After you do it for so long, you're not worried about it anymore because you know rather than you feel. Now, when you transfer from knowing to feeling, it's kind of like uh, a marriage like going dry in a sense. Like, now, hear me out. So if you, if you start to become bored in a situation, that's not good. Right. And the thing I find is that if... The more I do this, if I overdo it, I can become bored in a situation and don't have enough passion or risk involved. Mm -hmm. So when you start out, your prices are low because you're unproven, uh, but you're willing to work for it because, for one, the uh, emotional engagement is so high. It's so fun to go and do like people are paying me to take pictures and I don't know really what I'm doing, but I made it work. Right. And then I made it work again. And then I made it work again. Look at this. I'm doing it every time. And you kind of keep pinching yourself because you're doing something that no one else can really do. Not saying no one else can come in and do a great thing with it. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I, I sent you to Nick Lavecchia cause I couldn't work with you and he's an amazing photographer, mm -hmm. really good at what he does. I like, I take a huge amount of inspiration from him. Yeah. But as you, as you do that again and again, and again, you get to a place where you're not, you're not pulling from your emotional presence as much as you know exactly what you're supposed to do very quickly. Mm -hmm. So the pay is much higher when you're at that state financially because you've shown from beginning to end that yeah i've got a history and i can do this every single time your money is safe with me right it, there's it's a much safer bet to hire me at this high rate of cost mm -hmm. compared to this person starting out who shows like explosions of consistency and then nothing and then right. so when i was starting out i'd really hit some really well yeah but then others were like ooh. <laughs> Not that good. And that's why you have to pay really close attention to your failures starting out. Yes. You have to realize like, all right, that didn't work because of this. Please notice that next time you're shooting, Trent. All right. I'm gonna... So so the keys. The key to me is I, like when you, when if I look at a living room, yeah, I, I already know like, all right, 
you want to have a place where you where you as a viewer in an architectural image want to sit or be in that space. So mm -hmm. there's either a tr uh, like a sidewalk going through a beautiful landscape that calls you through it, mm -hmm. or there's a nice seated couch looking at a great view. So if you can't see where you're supposed to place yourself to partake of that space, right. it's gonna fall a little flat. Mm -hmm. Now details are different, you're seeing connections and all that, but for overall rooms, I can, you know, if this was a living room, I can walk in and if this is glass over here, I know we're probably gonna wanna shoot towards the view. And you just start on one side and as you're walking, you just feel it's like a click and there it is. Uh, and it's like, right. we don't need this to is the spend spot. any more time thinking about this because I know, mm -hmm. because I've done this thousands and thousands of times. Right. In the beginning though, the hardest thing was when someone would send me to go shoot a house mm -hmm. with no shot list and say, just do what you do. Because then at that point, I didn't know like from doing it a thousand times that that's the best one there. I think this one's pretty good. This one's pretty good. This one's pretty good. This one's pretty good. This. So you end up doing all of them. Right. And so it just runs you dry. But working with clients that are very discerning that can say, no, we wouldn't use that. We'd, we would use this because and that. And you, you also get to a point where you can actually articulately describe why this one is the best. Mm -hmm. Like this this apex coming towards that rounded piece is too close and it causes tension and we're too high, it feels uh, informational rather than a lower angle feels more connective and, and emotional. Oh, yeah. My theory is that it's when you're shorter, you're younger and you're more emotionally present. Ooh, interesting. That's a deep one to, that is who knows. Deep. Yeah, but, tell uh, me more about that. Well, every time I interact with a space, Mm -hmm. The higher you place the camera, the more information you can accurately discern. Uh, but if you get a little lower, it starts to, it just has this feeling of pulling you in more. Right. And, and it's, I think it might be because most adults are at least from five feet and up, you know, looking at stuff. And it's like, yeah, I've seen that before. Right. But if it's down a little lower, it's something's a little different. You have to engage more. Now, I have a practical example for this that I think this is the first time I'm really connecting that, that my, and I've, well, you've probably heard this if you listen to the podcast, so. <laughs> but my living room has a really nice wall of windows and a kitchen over here. When you come into the house over here, it's a really beautiful view that's just all forest out there. Mm -hmm. One, and the first time you come in, you emotionally are like, whoa. Mm -hmm. But the thousandth time you come in, you're like, yeah, I, I know it's beautiful. Right. but you don't feel it as much okay. because you've processed it. Now, I was standing in the kitchen one fall and the sun was going down over here and just streaking through the woods and it was this beautiful view and I'm standing there looking at it and I'm like, I know that's beautiful, but I, it wasn't a moment of like, <gasps> I turned around and my cabinets are kind of glossy. I looked in the cabinets and I could see my living room and the whole view mirrored. Okay. And all of a sudden I felt emotions for seeing that mm -hmm. where I hadn't before which was really weird. So I turned around to see if I could feel the same thing and it wasn't there. Mm -hmm. Turn back around, look at the cabinets where I can see the reflection and then I feel the emotions again. And it's something to do with that. Um, anytime you have a high uh, or an emotional experience, you, you take in all that information, any novel emotional experience, you take it in and you process it. And then it's articulated and you don't reference the emotional memory as much now, you reference more so the articulated words that you've translated your emotions into. Mm -hmm. So you don't have the same emotional response to it. 
it's you're it's more like you're reading something rather than experiencing it. Mm-hmm. So in doing that, I think the the mirrored living room allowed me to see it for the first time. Right. In the same way that having a lower camera angle is a new perspective uh just in general. Right. S- because we're always used to more so sitting up standing up here and seeing things. So when mm-hmm. you see it from a little lower, I think it engages a little bit more of a, this is a novel view. You have to work through this a bit. So maybe it calls people to interact a little more emotionally, subjectively with the image. Mm-hmm. It almost sounds like you're saying like the keys unlocked, like you go around a property and find where's the most emotion like in a spot and take that yeah and there is something to how the pieces relate that that causes an emotion Mm -hmm. that 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 is very interesting like yesterday we were shooting a thing for uh uh terrapin landscape um and it was a big uh granite curbing that was being reused for a huge patio and stairs Mm -hmm. down to a lake and the the best views uh were of the patio looking out to the lake and by cropping them just right when you walk in i i thought it was going to be hard to shoot Mm -hmm. and then when i framed it up where i thought like i knew i should Mm -hmm. i yeah that's interesting i knew enough to crop it how i cropped it but i wasn't expecting the emotional response that i experienced once i saw the crop Hmm. so i put the camera in and then i and i was like whoa hmm and the, the client came over and was like, whoa, you know, and I knew to do that, but I couldn't tell that it was going to make me feel that. Mm-hmm. And I was, and I was right. And we did it like three or four more times, but that was all based off, off of knowledge of past failures mm-hmm. and successes that, that I knew to pull in there, which, yeah. But. So what is, uh, what would you say your kind of, you know, purpose or, or mission is as a architectural photographer now? Like, and you know, what are you, what are you hoping people when they come to you are thinking or wanting and what do you think they're actually thinking or wanting right um i mean those are all maybe a little bit different questions but i think kind of um similar the i think the thing primarily is that see it's such a hard thing to actually objectify Mm -hmm. because it's or quantify it's basically uh an overall general response to the subject of interaction with individuals with the single image created around the project that they did. Right. And so you, you have to start out knowing that you're overlaying. Uh, so I'm overlaying my creativity over what you created. Right. Right. So you have these great uh, lobster rope mats for a, a better a lack of a better description, but they're all the colors are amazing and they're mm-hmm. done well. And, I love them. I, I have one on my front door, and every time I go over it, there's this little, like, authentic, beautiful piece that someone I know and value made. And I really like having that in my home. The things I really value in my home have come from people that I know hmm. and, and really value having in there. That makes me emotional for some reason. Um, but what was I saying before? <laughs> yeah, I think you were saying the we were talking about uh, why people come to you oh, right. and and what are you hoping, I guess, what is your passion to deliver? Right. So the, 
I think people come to me because there's there's been enough of subjective, positive subjective interaction with the images created mm -hmm. that leaves an impression that spreads that whenever a client shows the images that we create to someone that they value or hope will value them, there's mm -hmm. a positive response. So it's right. chain reactions all the way around mm -hmm. that, um, that then come back into reinforcing in the client that hires me to say, we've had really good success in the past with Trent, so we're going to keep using them. Or other people have had a lot of success with reputation and feel of images. So, you know, so there's an expectation that he'll be able to create a positive emotional connection through mm -hmm. this visualization of our project. Now, I have to come in and be respectful that it's not, it's not like a solo song and dance by me. Mm -hmm. It's me gently overlaying my creativity over your creativity. Mm -hmm. So there's a layering that needs to be respectful. If someone looks at the image and says, what a great photograph, they're not really seeing what they need to see. Hmm. They, the photograph needs to be beautifully silent. The product needs or the creation of my client needs to right. sing. That's what needs to happen. Now, if I'm doing an art piece through photography, great, go at it. Mm -hmm. But there's this restraint, I think, that has to be in what I do. Uh, commercially, right? Right. And I think understanding that and being respectful around that and not making it too like photographer tricks all the time yeah, is some level of connection, especially with a design community as traditional and restrained as New England typically is. Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's opportunities for going outside the lines and being a little crazy, sure. But overall, there's a refinement to it that mm -hmm. I, I think is, that has served me well, maybe. So, yeah, no, I love your ideas. And like I said, I just try to get you creatives and you're in the space and Hey, what do we want to do here? You know, we have to knock out the, what I call background shots, get over the right. top of the mat on a certain, we're always all bored at that one, but we try to knock it out quick. But yeah, I love what you said about being beautifully silent. <clears throat> yeah um yeah the uh tell me more about that i guess um if if you're looking at who to bring into your life long term mm -hmm. and you you look at someone who's doing a lot of song and dance to try and attract you mm -hmm. or someone who's respectfully presenting themselves as quality there's a difference there mm -hmm. there's an easy quick uh you know, advertising of yourself or, you know, it's, it's a, it's a problem of how do I create a perception around myself to advertise this? And that's not just for people and not just what you see in thinking about what to consider to bring into your life. But if you took the marketing aesthetic of bubblicious and put it with your mats, it would devalue it a bit, mm -hmm. right? Like a lot. It, right. It's not the same thing. Yeah. So, you know, bubblegum, you chew up and spit out. And unfortunately, we as humans have the same thing. And people who end up, you know, in one line of work and the other, there's reasons for that. And mm -hmm. so it is in, in photography and products and everything else that if you've got something that's, you know, less money and, and needs a quick turnaround, there's a different kind of aesthetic that goes into it and everything else. Silent beauty is some, there's something in that, that there's a restraint that speaks of a depth of, I know who I am. I know what my value is. And I'm not going to try and use my value to manipulate your perception of me. I'll mm -hmm. show you what my value is, but I'm not going to overshow 
you know, either. If I want to take a, you know, a, say like a nice small house. And if, if I like add some really crazy lights over here and some crazy lights over there and do some weird lights inside, the more song and dance you do, it becomes more about me in mm -hmm. photography. Right. Rather than get this in the most beautiful, uh, pleasing, but not chattery, loud kind of way. And mm -hmm. when I lean that way, to me, things feel just more at peace, more calm, and it, and it draws more people in for a deeper sense of truth and to yeah. not have a better way of saying it. I don't know. Right. But, but tell me a little bit, like, what, what are your um, just days like? Like, take me on a, I guess, days in general, but I love, I'm sure we'd all love sure. to hear about a shoot day, you know, but we know there's also probably just the in-studio days and the grind-out days, but... Um, yeah, the I've oddly gotten to a place where my business will self-sustain to a degree. Mm -hmm. So I don't have to put as much time as I used to into directly marketing to potential clients with my personal time, which is nice. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a lot of post-production work. There's a lot of estimates and all of that kind of stuff. Um, keeping up a social media presence, um, all of that uh, is I'll usually schedule two days a week to shoot. Okay. So then we have weather flexibility and right. a shoot day. Um, it, it certainly doesn't look like much and it looks like you're just kind of having fun, but it, it's a very, very high intensity of mental creation for the day. Mm -hmm. And it really wears you out if you haven't been on a photo shoot <laughs> to go on a photo shoot. And especially if you're someone who's in charge of everything happening on time, while trying to be creative, right. you're then pulling like two very different parts of your mind together mm -hmm. to work together. It's really hard and can be very exhausting. So I used to do like three and four shoots a week and it was just like, okay. that's for a 30 year old man. Mm -hmm. um, but now I don't have to do that as much. I can charge more and I can work less. And I now I have time to be with my family and spend time with my kids, which I find to be the most valuable use of my time, honestly. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm scaling back and trying to work with only clients that are, that really appreciate what I do and that I enjoy working with, uh, which is a prerogative you get once you are established, which is really nice. But it still does take a lot of work, even on the Monday, Wednesday, Friday, when I'm not shooting, I'll have to be doing emails, estimates, and blah, 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 blah. And then we have Tim going full-time, and we're starting to open a podcast studio now as well. So mm -hmm. a lot going on, uh, but I, I really enjoy the, the space of podcasting because it allows you to get out these ideas, be it they wrong or right. This is the process of figuring out, like, oh, maybe I shouldn't think of it that way. Or I have a proposal that we think of it that way. What do you think? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that actually is good. Okay. These are really important things for, for uh, transferring even what I've learned in photography yeah. uh, over to other people who want to do the same thing. I've gone through it. I figured it out for me. And there might be some of the things that I did figure out for me that'll, that'll help you. Mm -hmm. And also for people like yourself, potential clients looking to work with a photographer like, what should we expect? How should we approach it? You know, what, what yeah. can we expect to pay? All of that kind of stuff um, is really important. That's why we're starting a podcast business because I believe in this kind of communication that's less spun, less manipulated sure. and more honest. So, you know, I, I, I'm sure a lot of uh, designers and architects and 
professional curators uh, will be listening to this. Um, what would you give them for advice on working with someone like yourself, how to, you know, um, get the best work together? Mm. What, what would you give for advice? Uh, I would say uh, base it first off of look at, you know, a good slice of whoever you're considering hiring, look at their work. And mm -hmm. if you can tell, yep, that's a Trent image. That's a Trent image. That's a Trent image. That's if you can see a consistency within the photographer that you're hiring, if you can see that consistency in their work, mm -hmm. then you can expect the feeling that you see there is what you'll get in right. your work. Now, if it seems like it's all over the place, um, you're not sure what you're going to get then. Mm -hmm. And that's one argument for photographers to limit their website to specifically the subject matters that they want to shoot. So like mm -hmm. not people, only architecture. Right. I have some people stuff on my site because I do enjoy shooting stuff like that. But primarily we're 90%, uh, 95%, probably mostly architecture and architectural related things like house goods and furniture and stuff. Um, but to have an idea that uh, you, you do want to look for quality, not quantity. Mm -hmm. it, if, if, you, if you try and get more, the more that you get, the less quality you'll have. It's just, you have to take the time and like, it, I always find that I, I can only really take in a piece of artwork if I'm forced to stay somewhere. Right. So like in marriage counseling, they always have bad pieces of art in there, but it's the only art I ever actually start to feel and see anything in, which mm -hmm. is weird. But you you have to you have to take some time when you're shooting to to really hone in on that subjective thing presented in front of you. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, how does it feel mm -hmm. that the couch is here, but we don't see the other side of the couch and we can't see the seat? So where to? It's a lot of work and it's a lot of time, mm -hmm. and you have to you have to let those sit for at least a minute or two and talk about them and find mm. if it can be made better. Mm. And you want to massage those images towards like, all right, there's the experience. I look at that and in that single frame, I'm told all these things about that product, mm -hmm. about the experience of interacting with that product or that house or that space, you know? Mm -hmm. So keep your shot list low. Yeah. It, you know, unless like some of the work we do with you is more so like thumbnails, which right. you can just switch Those the mats out and mats. go to town. Yeah. That's a different thing. Like yeah. product shots in studio, in that sense, if it's a swap out catalog type of thing is easy. But sometimes you're setting up like whole scenes. Right. Like we were in here shooting with Thomas Mosier. And we had like whole bedroom scene here going and a bedroom scene here going. And those take that subjective time to think mm -hmm. about. And everyone talks about and they kind of sit there and scratch their head. And, and, you know, that to me, that's very valuable to do. So look for the consistency in the work. Mm -hmm. uh, keep your shot list restrained. You're going to get better quality and you'll be happier and you'll use those images longer because you'll like them more and you'll keep bringing them up and you'll mm -hmm. keep using them more. Mm -hmm. Um having having a stylist is really important and having someone in charge of the production schedule of the day is really important because your photographer is going to generally be someone if if they're really good they're not going to be that technically That's oriented right they're going to be creative if you hired a technical photographer mm -hmm. you're going to get junk images they're going to be technically perfect right. you won't have blurry things and the light will be very informational, but yeah. you're not going to like, sometimes you want the image to lose some technical quality right. to add some atmosphere. Like 
there's all those things at play. And with. we'll have and, emotion, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Like you want kind of like imperfection in mm. there to a degree. It's weird, but you want to, <clears throat> you want to subjectively engage. You'll need the time. Keep your shot list low. Uh, have a stylist who's looking at the, the color consistencies of the pieces that are put in, mm -hmm. like having your wife there and having, she has the vision of the styling in her head. Mm -hmm. So, okay. I don't have to worry about it as a photographer. You're going to be doing that. Great. I'm mm -hmm. only going to be focusing on the relationship of graphic. Like this is communicating with that. Are the colors right or anything out? We pull her in and she, yeah, this, but let's put a blanket there and oof, soft, good styling, you know, Yeah. but having a stylist helps a huge amount. It, yeah. it gives a, they can look at your aesthetic and they can bring it in and make it even better. Well, and like with Hannah's case, decisive. Right. You no, know, and actually that's time. Decisive is good. And she's, that's where I go to her the most. She's like, I got to, you know, she's very decisive yeah. when it comes to that stuff. And right. she's got this vision, whatever it is, great. Yeah. Let's do it. So, and she's not doing math in her head. No. She's emotionally present through what she sees it's visually. It's all feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's where I, I do think, oh, I'm going to take us off track there. Never mind. <laughs> um, so consistency of work. Uh, keep your shot list low so your quality can be high. Mm -hmm. uh, try and bring a stylist if you can, because your photographer can do three roles. It can be he can be the he or she can be the photographer. Mm -hmm. They can be the stylist. Often they are, and they'll have to be the production person for the day, keeping everything on track. Right now, if you're getting your photographer to do all three of those things, something's going to suffer. Right. And what's going to suffer is your composition and your lighting and the Time, things money, that quality, there's right? yeah yeah. So by spending more money, you get better, you know? So if you have, you can take it on yourself as a client maybe to mm -hmm. say, all right, I'm going to keep us on track. Mm -hmm. If you can just keep telling the photographer what to point at and the photographer doesn't have to have it on their head emotionally to say, I better keep on track and make sure we accomplish everything we're going to accomplish. Mm -hmm. That's one more emotional stress that takes away some emotional availability mm -hmm. to read what he's doing or she's doing, right? Right. So if I can be fully emotionally present, subjectively working with an articulate mind that can think through these things, that's where you want me. Yeah. And then you want someone saying, all right, we've got 30 minutes here. Go, stylist, go. And we need to wrap this up by that time. And then we're on to something else. I don't have to think about what we're on to because the production person has that. So I'm just focused. Mm -hmm. Stylist is focused. That feels like that feels best because mm -hmm. that way... You're pointing me at what I need to do and what I do best. Right. Then we're like, you'll get your, and when I work with people that point me in a direction and then get out of the way, as far as, uh, people that hired me to do what I do, right. The best results are those people who they, you know, they give you an outline, but they say, you do what you do. I'm not going to tell you what it is. You're, you know, mm -hmm. you'll have a creative person that will say, well, we'd like to focus more on this or that, you know, there's, there's a yeah. process. Sure. But the people that come in and try to be the photographer themselves too much will really, um, take away from the voice that they already chose. So they, choose to hire this photographer because of their consistency but if you come in too much with your own opinion you can you can squelch that voice and it becomes the client's uh 
vision in photography rather than the photographer you hired, mm -hmm. which is, it's a nuance there. I get it. Definitely. But yeah, to, in a sense, get out of the way, but to also mm -hmm. offer all that protection of that creative space for the person that you hired. Mm -hmm. So those are the, I think the main keys, okay. uh, and to, to make the people you feel with, uh, valued if, if you do truly value what they're doing, you know, yeah. um, as well, uh, you know, getting, you know, you had sent like, uh, the keychains and stuff just from the, the work that we had done. And you're like, yeah, here, take them out. I love it. And mm -hmm. it's just, you know, that's kind of one of those things that that's kind of like you, you feel the next time you work with that person too, you feel like, you know, these guys value me and, and what mm -hmm. I was able to add to what they're doing. They, they actually value me, not even beyond like what I demand I be paid. Right. But also like, no, like we really valued that. That was good. Thanks, relationship. Yeah, yeah. Partnership. Yeah. And so that would be, I guess, my best That's great. advice. Yeah. <laughs> so what is the favorite part of your, let's just say a, a photo shoot day. So, right. It gets all the, all the, what's your favorite part of that day? When or, it's, or, when or it's maybe it could be up. all of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. Maybe in the whole Trent Bell, you know, um, professional, Hon like honestly, what's your favorite part of your day or week when a photo shoot wraps up it's such a yeah it that's weird yeah if if i'm honest it, it's when it wraps up and yeah. not because it's over as much as there's like all right i i can't um I can't, uh, I can't keep running at 110% anymore. Mm -hmm. Like someone said, all right, that's good. Thank mm -hmm. you. You know, and, and it, it, it's kind of like, a, there, there's something in that, that moment of creativity and all the tension and stress of this is what I do to provide for my family. And if I lose my reputation, mm -hmm. I lose the ability to provide for those that I love. Mm -hmm. And what I'm doing is such a high wire act that if you fail once at it, it, it's really hard. Like mm -hmm. if you really fail, you know, right. I mean, you, uh, sometimes the images aren't as great as they could be because you missed something that happens. Mm -hmm. Um, but there, it's a huge amount of tension, but I also thrive off of that. So mm -hmm. it's a weird thing that it's like, well, why do you work out? Well, I work out because I like it. Yeah. You like it best when it's done and <laughs> you don't want to really do it before it starts, but you know, it's good. And so before mm -hmm. you do it, you know, you like doing it for how it feels when it, so it's it's a real exercise. Yeah. That is really good to engage in, but it feels best like when you're like I did that. And it's right. not that it's over, mm -hmm. but it's that I I did do that. Right. It's weird. I mean, if you hike a mountain or like for me, I love to deer hunt and I go on these big tracking adventures. Mm. The adventure's oh, amazing. Cool. Right? It's all about the adventure. But what, right, if you right, get right. if you get the deer which I don't really care. It was my least favorite part is that, you know, something dying, but mm -hmm. I really appreciate it. it all culminates right there. And without that, the story, you still have the story, but the story doesn't have so much to it. Mm. Or if you've just hiked a mountain or whatever it is, once you're done, you're like, wow, that was great. Right. Yeah. So I get what you're saying. I, yeah. I it, like. It's kind of like saying if, have you hiked Shakora? No. So it's, it. You, do you know which hike that is? No. It's uh, over, <laughs> in, over in Farmington. It's like the only mountain that's like the top, I don't know, quarter of it is all bald oh, rock. Like and it's not because it's view. above tree line. It's just, I don't know. Huh. 
It's a, and it's really, really pretty. Okay. You, you look at it and you're like, we're hiking location. Oh yeah, it's <laughs> insane. It's, it's the best hike I've ever been on probably for the last quarter view. It's just amazing. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, if, if you could just helicopter to the top, it's like, oh, oh wow, what a great I, view. But the fact that I got myself on my feet from here to there, mm -hmm. it's not the best part, but it makes when you get to the top that much better, mm -hmm. you know? So a photo shoot's kind of the same thing. Mm -hmm. To to go from here to there, it it's kind of, if you could just get to the end without the work, it wouldn't be as rewarding, but it would be easier. But, you know, the, the hike that you do is for when you get to the top and you see the view. Right. But it's also for the hike, but it's not, you know. Sure. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. So what, uh, do you have any interesting projects going on now or coming up or things you're excited about? Uh, uh we have a thing, uh, that we've done like, like with a reflect project that keeps getting, um, people keep wanting to hear more about it still when it was like, I don't know, 10 years ago, um, that we did with, uh, prison inmates, uh, their portraits, and we had them write a letter to their younger self and then put it in around them. Hmm. And that was really well received. And we we're going to take it down to Tennessee. But the problem is anyone who's interested in it, it's not art that you'd buy to put on your wall. Right. It's very, uh, it's very melancholy in its mm. presence. And it's very deep, difficult subject matter. But it's also very, very engaging. I mean, I watch people stand in front of it and start crying. And it's, you know... Um, but that's a inter it's a to me it's a really interesting thing with a lot of depth that we continually come back to engaging with that mm -hmm. that I really enjoy um and uh other than that it's just we have a lot of really good uh architectural work lined up mm -hmm. um yeah it, it's just stuff like that I'm really excited about the podcast studio that we're setting up too just because of uh, if if money were no issue mm -hmm. Like I would mostly be uh, reading and writing and doing stuff like this. Mm -hmm. And then maybe I'd go to shooting like once a week. <laughs> right. Perfect. What does quality mean to you? Response to truth, probably. Being very aware, but also responding to, to... it's a hard one. It, to me, it comes down to my definition of God. Hmm. Um, and that's where I would pull my understanding of anything from. Hmm. So to to say is something is of high quality okay. or low quality, right? Sure. To me, if it's high quality, it's it's it has a high degree of truth to it. Now, the problem with that is that all of reality in which uh, an overlap of what I would assume our ideas of God would be Mm -hmm. would be that God is omnipresent. Hmm. And in that sense, I would agree that when you have a high degree of uh, relationship, mm -hmm. honest relationship towards truth, to me, those two things coming together are uh, the most foundational characteristics that you could attribute to God, mm -hmm. uh, love and truth. Okay. Now we say love, I feel, because that is what we experience as positive human emotion or positive human relationship. Mm -hmm. So if if I'm in 
good relationship with someone, that means I'm treating them with love and it's a relationship of love. Mm -hmm. So if I take that to the deepest level, it's simply uh, relationship and truth are my foundational, uh, the, the relationship between consciousness and truth, essentially. Mm -hmm. But relationship and truth, using your consciousness to identify truth everywhere you can means that you have to, in that, try and be as honest with yourself as possible to say, I'm not going to manipulate this towards uh, my own glorification of experience. Hmm. Experience is very deceptive. Right. So that's the hard thing, that if you're true to your experience, okay, but you can deceive yourself very easily. And I've done that a lot. And it's hard to undo that. And, and I've had to work at that. Um, so there's something in there being a high degree of honesty within relationship towards identifying what is true outside of us. Mm -hmm. So if I'm looking at quality, I'm saying, you know, okay, um, if, if you took the idea of a remote, say, you know, what's the a high quality remote? Right. Or a photo. Or a photo. Let's let's go with photo. Okay. Um what do you call a high quality photo after a know? high quality photo? Well, that's a hard one because I put a lot of lies into my photography. <laughs> but you know, the the quality being measured is uh the best communication of the creation, say the architect made this creation. Right. And I come in mm -hmm. and I do my best to represent the ideal of what that design was meant to be. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes I'll be taking out like fire alarms and plugs and switches or neighbors' houses that are too close or, you know, so I'm, I'm lying constantly visually. <laughs> But what we're trying to show is that yeah. here's the creation, you mm -hmm. know, and this is as close to honest without, you know, right, without being a complete lie. There's always there's a weirdness in there. Um, if not, like, let's just all get a film camera and just one click and put it online. Right. You know, there's there's a degree of of uh, manipulation there. Right. But high quality in a photo. That's very interesting. You said that because. Because as you know, when we shoot our, like the colors, everything. Oh yeah. Cause we yeah. have to show when people buy something and it shows up at their house, it's got to look like what they. Exactly. Yeah. And now the quality there comes in with Tim. Challenging. Well, correct. So generally when we take a photo and you look at it, at it's raw. Right. It is not the color of what it actually. Right. Know, Unless you really, you can tune it in with a color grader and all that. Yeah. But but with digital now, you can just shoot raw and it doesn't matter. Right. But in post-production, you you better sure right. get the, the tuning in. So I love that you're talking about authenticity, finding the blend of authenticity. So like if we show the original photo typically to whatever, to everybody, that's not what the color actually is. A lot of it's right. the lighting, it's reflections, all kind of what's around it. Well, I found um, with your mats too, from certain angles, there's a reflective nature to the, the fibers that, that play yes. a game that's really cool too. It plays a game. There's no question about it. It's challenging. But yeah, so I love what you're talking. I, I just sounds like you're saying it's, a, it's an authentic um, 
and an ideal, I, I, I suppose. That's that's kind of what I'm hearing. And, and to me, quality, quality has a time coefficient to it. Mm-hmm. That I think if something's quality, it's hmm. it's quality will be around longer. Mm. Okay, so that if something is made really well right. uh, and it's it's durable and it, see if you can balance beauty, beauty isn't normally highly durable. It's usually more you know durable is usually more utilitarian. Mm. So you're kind of always playing these games with stuff. But it, with a photo, a, to me, a really high-quality photo is one that will feel more timeless. Mm-hmm. And a high-quality architecture will also be more timeless, too. So fads will catch quick, and like a real attractive, slightly revealing thing will immediately get your attention. Mm-hmm. But it's not going to be a good long-term solution, probably. Right. You know? So to me, that that quality of a photo is one that, how is this going to be timeless or is this going to be a photo that gets dated really quick? Mm-hmm. So there, there's one way of looking at it that if it's, if it's well done and it's, uh, you know, the color correction is nice and the styling's nice, it's, it's going to have a, a shelf life that's much longer. Right. That's one way of finding that. Well, let's think of another one. What is your favorite? And th- give, I'll give you a minute. What's your favorite kind of object around your house or at work or whatever, like something you use, it could be on a fairly regular basis. What is your like favorite? Do you have like a favorite go-to thing that you just, you just love using? Like a material possession thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be the Airstream camper. Okay. And that's because, well, for one, it's beautiful, but it's not that durable. I mean, you can scratch it so easy, but it, uh, it's but yeah, so beautiful. Why do you, why, why is it your favorite? <clears throat> uh, so I'll start with the least valuable reasons and get to the best. Okay. The, the least valuable one is that it's just so beautiful mm. uh, from the outside. Second is it's really beautiful on the inside too. Mm. Um, it's just you go in and it's there's a lot of light and it the roundness of the space, mm. everyone that comes in stays and talks. Nice. There's something weird there. Like anyone that comes in does not leave quickly. Mm -hmm. And it happens every single time. My wife went out with a friend to just show her and they came out five hours later. (laughs) They were just talking in the dinette there. They just ended up like, we'll just stay here and talk rather than in the house where we were at. So it's just weird. Um, But the most valuable thing is that anytime we're using it, it means our family is away from the day to day and we're working as a unit together. Mm-hmm. And that is just so beautiful when all the other cares are gone and you're there, just me, my wife, and my two boys. We pull up somewhere, they know they get the chucks out and do the thing, and Amber does her thing, and I do, and we're working together as a family unit. Cool. And, and we just spend that time together. Mm. And it never before I've had a material possession that accommodated that with such grace and beauty mm-hmm. so it's now my like of all material possessions ever it it brings in this time with family mm-hmm. in a beautiful way and it allows you to go to new places but do the same really valuable thing in new places everywhere so right. it has that kind of novel aspect to it as well which is just it's really nice <laughs> that's so cool so so to me you know i feel like you just explained everything 
you explained quality and somehow you even brought adventure in there, which I've never really quite thought about, you know, yeah, it, you talked about authenticity and timelessness and, and beauty, you know, a lot of the, um, you know, so I just, I, I'm passionate about finding true quality and, and what it means, uh, to everybody. And so how can, uh, how can people find you? Where can we get at? Uh, uh <laughs> Like who, who says www? I know. Yeah. I Just Trent Bell, trentbell.com yeah. or on Instagram or Trent Bell photography. Mm-hmm. Just all one word. Just Google Trent. Yeah. Yeah. Trent Just Bell Google Trent Bell photography. If you Google Trent Bell, it's either me or I, an Australian I idol. I did guy. see that. He's yeah. way better looking, especially without his shirt than me, apparently. Make sure you get the photography <laughs> and stuff in there. Yeah. I was like, who's this guy? I keep hoping, like, he gets really famous and then tries to buy my website. Oh, man. And I'll be like, so why not? Hey, all right. Perfect. I'll, I'll just move over to trentbellphotography.com. Yeah. Yeah. Not anyway, yet. Anyway, thank you so much, Trent. I really appreciate it. Thank you.